Hey everyone, welcome to the Frontline Community Church Podcast. My name is Jared, and I'm the group's resident here at Frontline in Grand Rapids, Michigan. Our mission is simple, to see zero people unchanged by Jesus. And so whether you've been following Jesus your whole life or your journey has just begun, we hope that this message will help you draw near to the person of Jesus, be challenged and encouraged by his word, and be moved to action. We hope these next few moments are a blessing to you and equip you to see who God really is and who you are in him. Well, hey, good morning, everybody. It's good to see all of you. It's good to see your faces. If you're here in the room, it's also good to have you if you're joining and watching online. You picked a great Sunday to be here. Uh, We're actually kicking off a brand new series today. So I'm excited that you get to join in as you just saw the video. It's called A Healthy Home. But before I get into any of that, uh, how many of you, if you're actually being honest, right? And it's church, so you ought to be. uh, If you're being honest, how many of you can identify an area of your life in which you have drifted away from maybe something that you were driving towards earlier? Anybody? Okay, the other 95% are lying on a Sunday. I even gave you the disclaimer. Here's why I'm joking, kind of lighthearted. We all have areas of our lives where we have drifted, uh, where a direction that we were headed, an outcome that we desired, maybe a type of relationship, a depth of relationship. Maybe it's in our our body. I I think about that every morning, right? You walk into the bathroom and you're just like, yep, I've drifted in this area. Uh, Other areas of your life, you can look at kids and maybe go, maybe how we function as a family has drifted from the area or from the way that we used to connect or that, that the way that we would desire to connect. Maybe it's a relationship with a significant other or a spouse. Maybe it's, it's mentally and you just go, you know, over the last year or last couple years, I have drifted away from maybe a lot of work that I did and healing I did from past or, or history. And so the direction or where I was and what I was headed towards is not quite the same direction as I'm headed today. What area of your life, if you're being honest, have you drifted? You know, to use that, that word, I, I think of swimming in Lake Michigan. It was warm this last week. I, I thought back to, man, being at the beach. My family always went to South Haven uh, State Park growing up. And so I remember swimming in the beach and I would have my eyes on a specific spot on the beach or in the sand. I'd see the umbrella or I'd see the beach tower. I'd see whoever I was there swimming with. And you know how over time, the current that's underneath the water just tends to kind of push you in a particular direction and you get farther and farther and farther away from the place that you initially thought, even when your eyes are focused on it, that's what I'm talking about today. What area of your life that even though you've looked at it, you've watched it, you've moved towards it, you've made decisions, but you can honestly look at your life and go, but I'm I'm not where I thought I would be. It doesn't look the way that I thought it would look. I've drifted. What area of life could that be for you? Today, like I mentioned, we're talking about a healthy home. And what's funny today, kind of the paradox that all of us live in is we are able to clearly articulate exactly what we want people to think about us. And one of the primary ways we do that is through social media. We, we love to project a certain sort of image or a certain uh, performance level or a success level or a comparison piece of our identity that looks at other people. We, we can craft exactly what we want people to see, but the reality is, is oftentimes what's underneath the surface is quite different. What we project as healthy may actually internally be quite unhealthy. That's why we get surprises, isn't it? Excuse me. That's why we get surprises, isn't it? For people in our lives who they look healthy and they look great and they look like things are going well. And then we find out the shocking news. Or maybe we watch TV. 
somebody that we've idolized, somebody that we've watched or followed. We look at them and we go, man, they have everything that I would desire. And then in a quick moment, a lot of it tends to fall apart. And what's funny about this idea of healthy is all of us desire to be healthy in every area of our lives. But if we're really honest, the image we project or sometimes even the, the, the depth of what we even see in ourselves is quite different than the reality in which we actually do live. It's why we're talking about a healthy home. A home life is one that we often project as healthy, but if we're really honest, home is where most of us are dysfunctional. It's where most of us are unhealthy. It's where most of those unhealthy decisions are made. It's where the habits reign. It's where the, the brokenness or the division among how we relate or the sin that continues to creep up. It's the generational pain, whatever it is, most of the pain and the torment and the difficulty and the struggle and the peace of sin that continues to wreak havoc on our lives actually plays itself out most in the context of our own home, not outside of the home. And so that's why we're going to carve out a, a number of different weeks here over the, this next series to look at what does a healthy home actually look like? And if you're wondering, is this series for me, this series is for everybody. It doesn't matter if you're single or married. It doesn't matter if you're divorced or remarried or widowed. It doesn't matter if you're young or old, if you have young kids or old kids or in between kids, you could be an empty nester. It doesn't matter what stage of life you're in, not just today, but this entire series is going to come alongside whatever season of life that you're in because the passage we're looking at and the anchor passage for this whole series is actually addressed to 2 million people. So of those 2 million people, of course, there would be young and old, married and unmarried. You, you would see people with kids and people who are empty nesters, people who haven't had kids yet. You'd see all of the demographics grouped into one. And the piece uh, of the story that we're actually going to dive into, the setting looks like this. If I could show you an image. This is the plains of Moab. It's the Jordan River that cuts through. The two million people were the two million Israelites that Moses was leading in the desert as they had left Egypt. They had left slavery. They were led by Moses out of Egypt into the wilderness where they wandered for 40 years. The time of their wandering was coming to a close. God had promised them a promised land. He had promised them a new destination and a new chapter and a new season and a new life. He had promised them something that they were about to inherit. They were about to go from one side of the river to the other side of the river. And here's the thing about Moses, Moses leading these people, one of the most famous prophets in all of Christendom in history who had a deep, vibrant relationship with God would not cross that river. So his address to these 2 million people were some of his parting words. As he looks at this new nation, this new people, stepping into a new land for a new season, as he looks at all of them, he has some words that he wants to share. And you can imagine these aren't flippant. They're significant. Excuse me, yet again. So let's read it together. This is Deuteronomy 6, verse four. He says, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts, impress them on your children, 
Talk about them when you sit at home, when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up, tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. If you look at Jewish history, this is one of the most significant passages, not just for Jewish history and Jewish culture and Jewish people, but actually of the entire Bible. This would be something that Jews would recite, that they would pray every single day. They would pray it in the morning and at night. This passage is known as the Shema. If you've ever heard of the Shema, everybody say Shema. Shema, it's a Hebrew word. There's so much packed in this passage, but I wanna break it down into two chunks. The first one, if I can throw that one back on the screen, it's Deuteronomy 6, verse four. He says this, go ahead and go to the next one. So he says, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. When, when the, the writer Moses uses the word hear, that's basically what the Shema meant. Hearing what he was saying to Israel and saying to these two million people was not everybody listen closely with your ears. It's not that type of hear. It's not that type of passage. What he's saying is the hearing that is about to take place should not be on a physical auditory level, but on a heart level. He's begging Israel, please listen. Please listen to me. I won't be going with you across the river. I won't be with you in the next season. I won't be with you in the new land. So please, Israel, listen. Listen in a way that translates to the action and how you actually live out your life. Israel, listen to me. Listen to these words that you need to hear me say. And the number one thing he highlights is what? It's love. Once he gets their attention, once all eyes are focused on him, not once all ears are listening, but now what, when the hearts are postured in a way to receive what he actually has, he says, here's what I wanna tell you. Here's what I've come down the mountain to share with you. Here's what I'm gonna die saying to you is love the Lord your God. Love him. There's so much packed into just that one little verse. Love the Lord your God. He continues, love the Lord your God with all your heart. When he talks about heart, when he uses that, he's talking about your inner man or your inner woman, the place that drives you, the, the peace that's attached to your identity. When he's saying, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, he's saying with, with the deepest part of you, love. And then he says, with all your soul, the word soul that he uses is a word called nefesh. Everybody say nefesh. Nefesh in Hebrew is breath. It's life. He's looking at all of them. He's saying, not just with your inmost being, not just with your identity, not just with the core part of what makes you, you, but with every single breath, with what gives you life. Nefesh, nefesh, every breath, every ounce, every fiber. And then the last part he says, and with all of your strength, he's saying every fiber of your energy, of your strength, of your actions, of your motivations, of your being with every part. Strength could be physical, strength could be mental, strength could be emotional, strength could be spiritual. Moses encompasses all of them. And he says, with all of your strength, which comes from the place of your heart, with every breath that you have, use it in the direction, use it for the purposes of, use it as a focus on the love that you have for God. 
That's what he pleads with his people to say. If we could boil it down or summarize what Moses was trying to impart to his people, it's the same thing for today. It's that every ounce of your being should be motivated by the love that you have for your heavenly father. If you wanna get healthy in any area of your life, financially, mentally, relationally, in your marriage, with your kids, in the workplace, with purpose that you have in life. If you wanna be healthy in any single area of your entire life, it must start with love for God. Moses is saying the ultimate value, the most fundamental value, the most important value that you can have as you step across this river into a new life and a new land and a new season in the promised land, the most important thing you can do is not go get a house. It's not go married. It's not go have children. It's not go retire. It's not do anything. It is love. That's what he's begging his people. He's saying the ultimate core value that you ought to be known for as a people of God is your love for him. So let me ask you a question. If I can ask you a question, what's the primary value in your home? If you evaluate your home, your life, your family right now, what is the number one value that plays itself out more than anything else? This is a really hard question. I'll just preface it that way. Uh, I think it's a really difficult question for all of us to answer because what I think happens is most of us live life with values that are deeply ingrained inside of us so much so that we're not even aware of all of them. We're not aware of what drives us or motivates us or moves us to do things. So what do we do? We wake up and we get right to work or we get right to our phones or we get right to connection or right to email or right to family. And we, we survive the day, we get through the day and we use the day to further something that we're motivated by. But if we actually pause and say, what's the number one value? Many of us don't know. Many of us have no idea. So let me give you some ideas. These are some, as I sat with this own question on my life, here's some of the things that came to mind. Uh, what is the most important value in our home? Is it work? Is it school? Is it money? Success? If you had asked my five-year-old, what's the most important value? What do mommy and daddy care about the most? What's the number one driver? What, what would he say? What, what would a child say in your home or a third party, somebody that has nothing to do with your family, but just follows you around for a week or a month or a year? What would they say is the most important value for you? Is it sports? Here's some interesting stats for you. Is it family? 84% of parents in our country agree that family meals are important, but stats show that usually that only happens about three times a week. So is family the most important value that actually translates into a lived practical value? Or isn't it? Uh, here's another one, entertainment. The average American watches three hours of TV per day. Did you know that? Some of you are like, yeah, I watched it on TV. I saw that, old news. Three hours a day. Translate that into a lifetime. What, what is the value that's at play there? Here's a, a shocker for you. Maybe that one's not surprising. The average child will watch 22,000 hours of TV by the time they're 18. That is more than their total cumulative school time in the same time period. So you add all of the school together and you do not eclipse 22,000 hours, which is TV. What's the primary value in your home? Here's another one, social connection. 
The average American picks up their phone 144 times a day. You probably knew that one as well. Did you know that the average American spends two hours and three minutes a day, not on their phones, but on social media? 89% of Americans check their phones within 10 minutes of waking up. And then here's a a fun one. 75% of them use their phone on the toilet. I don't know if you knew that. Here's what I learned from that statistic. 25% of people lied on that question. (laughs) We have all done that. 100% of us have used our phones. That makes sense, right? When a value is time or when a value is social connection or when a value is work or success or productivity, I'm not asking you, what is the value that you want to be the most important thing in your family? Or what's the value that's most important to you in your home? What I'm asking you is what is the practical value that is lived out regardless of whether you want it to be or not? What's the value that has drifted into its current reality in your home? That is likely the value that is leading towards unhealth in a myriad of ways we can't totally understand. There's an interesting quote I stumbled on this last week that I wanted to share with you. It's by Eugene Peterson. And it says, an excellent way to test people's values is to observe what we do when we don't have to do anything. How we spend our leisure time, how we spend our extra money. What he's getting at is if you wanna see what you really value, if you wanna see what you really care about, if you wanna see what really drives you, if you wanna see and understand and articulate the thing that really moves you as a person and as a family and as a culture, if you really wanna see, take all obligations out, what do you do then? You know, the whole phrase, time and money are no object, then what do you do next? Likely that's a value that's driving you in your family. If love for God is not the primary value, then every other value you have in your life becomes a competitor to it. Now this will preach. If love for God is not the number one value, everything else we just listed, everything else we articulated, everything else that just came to mind, everything else you thought of, everything else you talked yourself out of two minutes ago, every other value becomes a competitor. And that's why God cares about it so much. Do you know what that's called? Actually, all throughout the Bible, it's idolatry. It's when we worship something, when we're driven by something, when our actions and our affections are driven by something higher than God. God calls that idolatry. What is the thing? What is the idol that exists in your life and my life that has superseded the role that God plays, not just as a top five value, but as the most important driving value of your entire home? If I summarize the whole thing, here's how I would say it. I would say healthy homes are built around one priority. That one priority is this, it's loving Jesus. That's it. The whole series that we're gonna look at, the whole series we're gonna talk about and unpack this together, it all comes through this lens. Loving Jesus, is that the primary driver? This is why the Israelites recited this twice a day and still do thousands of years later. 
In fact, they, they have this thing. I brought one with me. It's called a phylactery. It would be this little tiny box that they would put scripture in and they would actually wrap it around their arms. So when, the, when Moses writes and he says, you know, uh, tie it around your arms and your head and keep it on your mind, what it, which we're gonna read here in a second. When he says that, they took it literally. They went, we're, we're gonna meditate on the word of God all the time. We're gonna wrap it physically around ourselves, on our body. We're gonna wear it on our heads. This has to be the number one driver. It has to be the number one focus and the number one value that we exist for, which is loving God. That's what Moses wanted them to cross the river with. Make him your priority because if he's your priority, everything else will naturally drift towards healthy. But here's what's interesting. If he's not your number one priority, if loving him is not your number one value, then everything else will naturally drift towards unhealthy. Nothing survives that test. If we keep reading, here's what he says, Deuteronomy 6, verse six. These commandments I give you today are to be on your hearts. Watch, watch the progression here of Moses speaking to his people. He starts by saying, it must be on your heart, must be on the inside, on your hearts. Then he says, impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up, tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. That's the piece I was telling you about. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. He starts with the heart, which is the secret place. And then he moves to the home. He moves to the home. That's your private place. That's where you and your family interact. That's when you and your family, the real values get displayed. He's saying, if you wanna change a culture and change a world and change your life and get healthy, it starts in your heart, but then it moves to your family, moves to your home, it moves to your household, it moves to the way that you function. Everything else must fall into that filter of, do I love God first? Do I love him the most? It moves from heart to the home. And then he says, and then when you're at work, when you're in the marketplace, when you're out in culture, when you're at seeing a movie or you're out to dinner, or you're at a restaurant, it moves to this place that is now public. So often we get it reversed and we start with public and we say, here's what I'm gonna do everybody. And look at me and I've got it together. And then we say, maybe if I do that enough, the inner reality will become my reality. That's not what Moses articulates. He starts with the heart, then he moves to the home, then he moves to the marketplace. And then the last piece, uh, when he talks about the door frames uh, and the doorpost and the gates and all that, what I love about this is he said, and everywhere else. You ever have that on like a, a job description and all other duties as assigned? That's Moses's articulation here. And he, he, what he's saying is you can't just say it's in my heart and it's in my home and it's in public. Moses said, I probably forgot other stuff. That's a really good point. So all of that stuff also applies. When you're moving, when you're walking, when you're driving, when you're conversing, when you're, when you're in conversations, when you're passing from one to another, when you're driving down your street or when you're sitting down or waiting to get your table at the restaurant, in all of these other places, loving God ought to be the number one priority. That's what Moses says to the Israelites. I saw this really cool uh, rewritten verbiage here for that same verse. We actually talked about this as a teaching team, all these uh, churches that Corey was talking about earlier, the Zero Collective, we, we were all talking together about this passage and one of them shared this with me. I wanted to share it with you. It says verse uh, seven to nine rewritten sounds like this. Let your kids know that you love Jesus. Talk about his words when you sit in the living room and when you're in the school drop-off line. 
when you stay up too late with your eight-year-old, when you get woken up early by the newborn, make Jesus part of your workday routine and invite him into your thought life. Put his words on your fridge, put them in your garage. Doesn't that make it so practical? It seems so relatable, so simple, so easy. What he's saying is make God your priority. Make loving him your priority and watch what happens to the rest of your life. If you want to experience, this is Moses speaking to the people. If you want to experience the promised land for what God has in store for you, he's gotta be first. You can't prioritize the promise above the one who made the promise. God's inviting you into a life altering relationship with him. And he wants to affect every area of our lives every single one of them. Here's what's so cool about um, this last piece here. This is Deuteronomy 6, verse 20. Moses says, in the future, when your son asks you, what is the meaning of the stipulations, decrees, and laws that the Lord our God has commanded you? Tell him, we were slaves of Pharaoh in Egypt, but the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. Before our eyes, the Lord sent signs and wonders, great and terrible, on Egypt and Pharaoh and his whole household, but he brought us out from there to bring us in and to give us the land he promised on oath to our ancestors. Do you see what, what Moses does with the people? He points them at the gospel. He points them at the whole reason that we're here. He, what he's saying is when, when your son or daughter asks you someday, why are you like that? When your neighbor walking down the street, passing you says, why, why aren't you gone every Sunday morning? Why do you have people over once a week? Why, why, why do you act like that? When people at work talk to you and they say, you talk different than everybody else. You treat people different than everybody else. In fact, you look different than everybody else. What is it about you? What Moses is saying is people are gonna wonder and people are gonna notice and people are gonna look. And your answer is this, can I tell you about my God? Can I tell you about what he's done for me? Can I tell you how he rescued not just me, but our people from slavery and bondage in Egypt? We know that this points to the ultimate gospel, the ultimate good news, which is Jesus. What he's saying is, tell them about Jesus. Can I tell you about my Jesus, about the relationship that I have with him, about what he saved me from, about what he forgave me from, about the mercy and the compassion that I received from him, about the relationship that I have with him that I know isn't just temporary, but it's eternal. It's gonna last forever. When people say, why are you different? You be ready with your answer. And you say, because of the gospel. That's why Moses is pleading with his people. He's not gonna be there with them. Moses knows his time ends on this earth before he crosses the river. So he looks at them, he looks at the next generation, the people marked by their relationship with God. And he's basically saying, let it be true. Let your words, let your articulation of the gospel and the transformation that you've experienced from Jesus, let it be true. Let it translate into a life where everything goes through the filter of loving God first. Your money, your marriage, your relationship, your children, your work, everything. He's saying, if you 
do that, it will change everything. Do you want that? I know I do. Here's a question I would just ask as we bring it in for close. What's one way that you can prioritize love for God in your life? What's one thing that you can do? As we said, I'm, I'm always tempted in a, a message like this or sermon like this uh, to go home and go, all right, we're, we're doing a sweeping application. I'm gonna look at 19 different areas of my life and here's how I'm gonna write them and change them and focus on them. Here's where I've drifted. I'm gonna bring it back in. Here's what I'd ask you, please don't do that. Uh, that's not gonna work, especially if you live with people, if you're married, if you have kids, you can't come down the mountain like Moses and say, I have the new plan. It's gotta follow his same format. It's gotta affect you in the heart, in your heart, on your heart level. When we pray here in just a second, I'm gonna ask you, would you invite the Holy Spirit to put his finger on one area, one part of your life that God is saying, I, I want you to focus on that, just this one. Maybe for you, it's how you spend money. Maybe your focus right now, the direction that you're moving in life. Maybe for somebody else, it, it, his focus is on a broken relationship that you have right now. Somebody you're angry at or resentful towards or who's angry at you. Something that's just frustrating. And God's invitation to you is make loving me your priority in this. Maybe for some of you, your marriage is struggling that it's not going well, there's unresolved tensions and problems. Maybe God's saying, this is the area that I want you to invite me into, that love for me could actually translate and make a difference in this area of your life. I don't have this figured out at all. I just want you to hear that. I, I'm doing this with our family as well. Shannon and I are trying to figure it out. I, I, we did this uh, study as a small group, maybe six or eight months ago. It was all about parenting. All of us have young kids in our small group right now. And so it was about how do, how do you live out these values in a way that your kids actually grab them? So I started, I started doing this thing as a result of that study. I, I pray with Judah every morning on our way to school. It's funny, there's a spot on the road. I, I, We've done it so much. Every time I hit the spot on the road, I remember, oh, we gotta pray. That's what we gotta do. So we have a rhythm. I pray three days a week, Judah prays two. And so I just say, what do you want me to pray for? How can I pray right now for you or for your friends? So I, I know a ton about all of the kids in his class because we pray for them all the time, especially the bad ones. <laughs> that really moves Judah's heart. Pray for them, dad, they're bad. Okay. What's the opportunity that you have? What is it in your life? Maybe it's driving to work. Maybe it's part of your workday rhythm. Maybe it's with your kids. Maybe it's at dinner. What's the thing that God's putting on your heart to just do this? It's so funny how much, how much we all naturally drift towards him when he becomes the priority. In areas of our, li our lives, we're not even trying to be intentional. That's his invitation. He's a good God. He loves you so much. All he wants is a relationship with you, a real one, a deep one. That's the invite that he gives to us today. As we close today, uh, we also get to do something that's special just as a church. Uh, we get to celebrate communion. God talks about his church as a family. It's a family of believers and those that do life with one another and pursue Jesus together. Well, communion, is it in a family aspect of that and how we look back and we remember the gospel that we were just talking about. 
In fact, Jesus, when he was in this upper room, he had a small group of his disciples that were there and he got their attention. And this is the night that he would be betrayed. It's the night that he would be handed over to be crucified for all of us. On that night, I just picture the emotion in his eyes as he gets his disciples' attention and he stands up, <clears throat> clears his throat, picks up this loaf of bread, and then he breaks it in front of him, and slowly rips it apart. And he looks at his disciples and he says, this is my body just being broken for you. So take and eat this, and when you do that, Remember me. Can you imagine what's going through the minds of the disciples right now? What do you mean your body's gonna be broken for us? And they took it, they took the piece and they ate it. And then right after Jesus took, he took the cup, he, he poured out the wine into the cup. And so you see it splash in the cup and run down the side and Jesus holds it and he looks at them and he says, this is the blood of my covenant. It's the promise that God made to Abraham that I make to you. It's the, the blood of the covenant that is being shed for you. So take a drink. And when you do that, I want you to remember me. Jesus invites his disciples, not just to love him, but into the love that he has for each one of them, just like he has for us. Paying the ultimate sacrifice, going to the cross, perfect and sinless. And he took the beatings and the floggings, he took the nails, he took the shame, he took the guilt that was heaped upon him for us. I can only wonder how many of his disciples remembered what he had just said. The truest picture of love on display. The God that didn't leave us to our own sin and destruction, but moved towards us, sacrificed for us so that we might have life forever with him. So today, as we take communion, that's what I want you to remember. I want you to remember the love that your heavenly father has for you. Despite your sin, despite your brokenness, despite the things that got you to the place that you're at now, despite all of it, your heavenly father loves you. So as soon as I'm done praying, we're gonna go ahead and stand up. You can move, there's four communion stations all the way around the back. You can help yourself, uh, you can grab a little cracker, is the bread and a little cup of juice is the wine. And when you go back to your seat, we're not all gonna take it together. So take it with whoever you're sitting next to, take it by yourself, take it with your family, however you wanna do it. You take it whenever you're ready and then the band will lead us as we close out in worship. So let's pray together. God, we just come before you right now and we just thank you uh, that we get to celebrate the gospel. We thank you that we get to read a passage like this that talks about love for you and Moses addressing 2 million Israelites about to step foot into a new land and a new season with a new promise, God, and, and here we are. And we know that you are speaking to us just as much as you were speaking to them. So I just pray, Lord, just like we talked about earlier, I, I pray that you'd bring our attention right now to one area of our lives that needs your attention. 
one area of life, of our lives that needs you to be the priority. God, just stir in our hearts right now. Move us to action. Move us towards what you want us to do, who you want us to become by making love for you our priority. And God, as we leave here, I pray that it just wouldn't fall on deaf ears, whether that's physically or just spiritually, Lord. I pray that as we leave here, we would take a tangible next step, a practical next step that prioritizes you as God, as ruler, as the number one focus of our entire lives. And God, I pray that as we allow you to be number one in our hearts and in our homes, I pray, Lord, that healthy becomes a byproduct in every other area. God, we love you. We're so grateful for you. And it's in Jesus' name that we lift up all these things and we pray them to you. We hope this message encouraged you in seeing who God is and who you are in Him. If you want to take a next step, visit frontlinegr.com slash next. We look forward to connecting with you there, and we'll see you back here next week.